In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 426 of our ongoing exploration of the immersive cosmos joining us this week is ben enos senior director of product design at the escape game to talk about his path from being an escape game super fan to heading up a team at one of the largest location-based game companies in the u.s before we get into that, there are two events coming up in New York City next month that we want to tell you about. First up this March, Patchwork Adventures has pulled together some of their fellow creators and is offering them their work, offering them, offering their creators, here you go, no, offering their work up as a package deal on the weekend of March 2nd. That package includes Patchwork's own Order of the Golden Scribe Initiation Tea, Shadow Traffic's competitive winner picnicking awards ceremony, a mixer and surprises at the lower case, Great Gotham Challenge's terminal time trial, Roaring Twenties Death by Bathtub Gin by Broadway Murder Mysteries, and The Tiger's Bride by Theater Uzume. That's all for a package price of $400 for the weekend. For another $60, buyers can also get Linked Dance Theater's 10th anniversary intimate show for one winner's walk as an add-on to that cycle. Check the link in the show notes uh, for more. The next thing we want to tell you about, quite excited about this one because uh, it's the kind of thing that's been coming for a while. Uh, this next is an exclusive pre-sale for no pro Patreon backers to the March run of Corinne Wick's casting at Gymnopedi, which is live on the Patreon right now casting was the winner of the 2019 los angeles immersive invitational and it is just coming off a sold out run at the denver film festival i got to watch this piece come together in real time uh when it was made at the invitational and it's just this absurdist delight it's one of my favorite things and it's coming to new york and no pro Patreon backers can get in on the pre-sale now. Get your tickets before anyone else. Uh, that That is open for the weekend to you. And sales of the general public open up next week. Lock your tickets down while you can. Uh, this is just the latest early access perk for our Patreon backers who also get our weekly newsletter and access to our Discord where you can connect with fans and creators and hear about this uh, before the podcast comes out or the newsletter comes out, right? You know, we're talking about this stuff all the time. Head over to patreon.com slash for the hookup. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mostry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette, Cameo Wood, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, Kurt Collins, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hands-On, Lecker LeCool, The Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. And hey, if you're like Corinne, uh, and, uh, or if you're like Patchwork and want to hook up something for the, the backers, just, you know, hit me up at noah at noprosidium.com. Let's get this going on. All right. Thank you. 
Joining us now is Ben Eno, Senior Director of Product Design at The Escape Game, which has 41 locations in nearly 20 states, and the company has been in operation since 2014, which means they've got an anniversary coming up. Ben, thanks for being on the show. It's a little overdue, but that that one's on me. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, you head up the part of the company that actually makes the games. There's other people doing the marketing and all the other stuff. So I actually want to start with you as a player. What do you look for in an escape room, in an immersive game? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, so for, for me, I'm a player first. I actually started playing escape games back in 2014, just after the escape game started. Um, I think I played my first game in June Uh, with my then girlfriend, now wife at the time. And we played the Nashville Room and we won with 45 seconds remaining. And it was exhilarating and fun and amazing and just had a a ball of a time. And since then, I've been hooked. Um, Both my wife and I play escape games all around the world. um, And we, we love to play. We honestly, we just look for fun. Anything that's really fun and whimsical and exciting, um, anything with dramatic reveals or unique interactions, we're attracted to. What's the most unique interaction you think you've had (laughs) in a room? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. I think the most unique interaction was a experience that's no longer in New York where there was an actor that swallowed a key or quote-unquote swallowed a key. Um, But you find him in the room, basically with his stomach torn open, and you have to reach into (laughs) his stomach and pull out a key while he, like, winces from the pain. And, of course, you know it's fake, so I had no problem doing it, but my wife would not get close to him at all. Oh, my God. Wow. How long ago was that? Oh, gosh, that was probably 2018. Okay, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> back when people were like, oh, yeah, just get your, get your hands up in someone's guts. No problem. Pandemic <laughs> right. comes long. I don't feel like doing this anymore. So, <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> um, so you've been, you've been playing since 2014. When did you make the leap over into being in product design? Yeah, um, so I got to know the Escape Game team in uh, 2015. Um, and early parts of 2016 and just kind of started talking to them about escape games in general. Like I had fallen in love with them at the time I was touring with Brad Paisley, doing all of his concert photography and videography. And so that offered me a lot of opportunities to play games in various parts of the world. And so, yeah, so anytime I would play a game, I would write all my notes from that game and I'd send them to Johnny and James and, uh, Eventually, they're like, man, if we don't hire this guy, he's either going to start his own company or go work for someone else. And so they reached out to me and um, they're like, hey, we have this job. And it was mostly um, focused on like game quality, making sure our games played consistently across the portfolio. Um, And we only had five locations at the time. So that wasn't as daunting of a task as it is nowadays. But um, it was mostly that. But I knew there was some game design involved. And so I, I took the leap and... I haven't looked back. I've loved it ever since. So you kind of started out as like almost like the lead QA person mm-hmm. and like trained yourself on what quality assurance for an escape game should be just through playing so much. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, most of my knowledge is from experiencing other experiences. That's that's a that's a very video game like career path. 
Right there, yeah, right. Very much you know, so. And a lot of people like want, like they try to come up that way and don't don't manage to in video games, right? Like QA can kind of be a cul-de-sac sometimes, but some people mm-hmm. do get to like make the leap over to the other side of it. Yeah. Um, when 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 you first started getting your hands into the game design part of it, was that was that daunting, or did you feel like you had seen so much of what had and hadn't worked? No, I think it was, I was comfortable in it. I really enjoyed doing it. And a lot of it early on was me physically getting my hands dirty and building the props or figuring out how to make something crazy work. Um, And it honestly, like back in 2016, it wasn't pretty. Um, (laughs) There are a lot of props that I built that are definitely no longer up to the TEG standard, but it, it was just, it was in my comfort zone. It was in my wheelhouse and I loved every bit of it. When you when you say that it wasn't it's no longer up to the standard, what, what was sort of the arc of of the, the company itself? Because forty one locations across nearly half the states that's that's a lot. That's a lot mm-hmm. of places. Yeah. So um, when I started, I mentioned we had five locations, and we were working on Mission Mars when I started, um, and it kind of fell into my lap, basically. You know, about a month after I got hired, Johnny, my boss, came to me and was like, hey, we've kind of stalled out on this project. Go finish it. And so it was all in my hands um, to finish it. And so I had to learn a lot um, fabrication wise and tech wise. Um, And then, you know, from there, we started building out a team. And so, you know, in the early days, it was really scrappy. Everyone had to learn, you know, three or four different skills to, to do their role. Um, and so everyone that we hired, we also had to find these generalists more than specialists. So someone, you know, Ryan Jones is one of the guys I can remember that we hired that he did tech, but he also did all of our soundtracks for our games. Um, so we had, you know, all these great generalists and we just kind of found the perfect grouping of people. And then as we grew, we had to formalize it a little more. We had to make it more like a business. Um, and we had to get more specialists in the roles. And we had some breakthrough specialists. We hired a technician at one point that um, really pushed us forward in our technical abilities um, and allowed us to, to break into the era of tech that we're in now. Um, and we've hired several specialists along the way. And the company has grown. I think there were maybe 13 people in headquarters when I started. And now there's over 100 people. Wow. Yeah. So 13 people at headquarters when you started, I mean, that's, that's kind of like this, you know, a touring band plus their support (laughs) network. Right. And you, you come from the music world. So like, how Mm -hmm. does, is it analogous sort of the way the early days of this were? Did it feel like you were part of a band? Yeah, a a little bit. Um, I think, you know, mainly two things. One, when we are touring, you're kind of part of this big family and, Everyone just helps each other out. Um, and that's how it is at the escape game. Like everyone just helps each other out, whether or not it's their role or they have any knowledge in it. Um, but then the other thing is the the rush and kind of the you know crunch time, just like a show, like you've got a show time. You go on stage at 7 p.m. And our games have to open. Um, and sometimes when we do client projects, we have to launch them on that day no matter what. And so I think that allowed me to really thrive in that environment where I'm, you know, I love that crunch time. I live for that crunch time. And I think the rest of our team does as well. 
you mentioned Klein work sometimes, and that was something I got to do last year was the only murders in the building uh, room that you that you had popped up. I think in a in a couple of different cities. I got to do it here in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. How how does something like like that come through the shop, and 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 maybe like that one specifically because there's a lot of there were a lot of little touches and and I hadn't seen the show but it made me want to see the show by the time I was done playing the game. I was like, Oh, this is fun. If this is what the show is like, let me do this. So like, congratulations, effective on that level, but also, yeah, that's what, what is it like to be working on those? And it's such a, it's such a unique thing for this company that's installed kind of like all over the country to be able to say, Hey, uh, we could do a room for you. Yeah. The only murders in the building project is one of my favorite projects we've ever done. Um, that one actually started from a relationship that we'd been building since the beginning of COVID. Um, Amazon Prime reached out to us. They wanted to do something digital um, for one of their TV shows. It was Hannah. And so we did a fully digital online game for them. Um, and then that led to us doing a uh, what we call our remote adventures for another game um, or for another show that they were producing called Truth Seekers. Um, and then that led to once she switched companies, she went to Hulu um, and then basically came to us with the Only Murders Project. And so it was basically three years of building up to that. Um, but we had built that trust with her um, and she, is, she and the team were amazing to work with. Um, at all the companies she worked for. Um, But yeah, and then building it was kind of a whirlwind. We had originally planned on doing kind of a season finale vibe. Um, And then, you know, basically eight weeks before the season started, they were like, no, 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 we want to do it for the beginning of the season. So (laughs) we had to change our timeline and scope completely. But um, again, kind of like that crunch time, like we knew we had eight weeks, we had to design a game as quickly as humanly possible. Um, we pivoted all of our, uh, game design resources that we could towards this project. And, um, you know, we did essentially three to four weeks of solid game design. And then we did about two weeks of production, um, about a week to get everything out there. And then we installed it over the course. I think we started installing on a Monday. We did our first tests of the game on uh, either late Wednesday or Thursday morning. And then we had press day on Friday. So very compressed timeline. Um, And it was mostly uh, one of my team members, Rachel and I working on it, um, physically building props. Like we were working in our shop, I think one morning till like 2 a.m. working in our shop, building these props. Yeah getting them ready to ship to both of the locations. So it was Vegas and LA. And so we did the uh, LA install and then we went straight to Vegas, did the Vegas install. And we were originally going to come back to LA and tear it down, but they ended up extending it first for three days, then for a week and then for a full month, Um, which was, yeah, it was amazing. We got so many more people to experience this, this piece that we created. And for us, it, it was easy for Rachel and I to work on it because we both loved the show before we even heard about the project. Um, so both of us were like, yeah, obviously we're doing this. Like, I don't care that it's eight weeks. We'll put in as much as we need to, to get it done. And it, it turned out better than I had even hoped. That one, that room really sang. And what was interesting was like, you also, you had, you took one of the other rooms that was already in actually, like I should probably pull it back. Like, so, like, explain to folks what the escape game, like, how how a 
how a unit of the escape game works because it is different from you know some of the other you know uh, escape game companies that have like multiple units or even it's different it's definitely different from like you know some you know mom and pop shop going on somewhere yeah the escape game basically all of our locations are anywhere between three and i think 11 maybe 12 games um orlando is our largest location um but basically each location um, typically has some repeat games that are across the country. We've got our core portfolio of games, um, which are you know Prison Break, Heist, Gold Rush, Playground, Special Ops, Timeliner, uh, let's see, Cosmic Crisis. Um, I know I'm missing one and I should know it. <laughs> um, one of those kids is going to be very upset tomorrow. Wait a second. Right? They're inanimate right. objects. It's okay. So... <laughs> Um, anyway, so we've got our portfolio of games and we strategically choose which games go into which locations, especially when we've got two locations in a market. We want to make sure that there's as little overlap as possible. Um, and we've got, you know, our core games like Prison Break is our best selling game. Like what you're doing in the game is in the title of the game. And I think that's a lot of the magic to why it's the best seller. Um, but that's in basically every location versus a game like Special Ops or Timeliner, where we might choose one or the other, depending on the rest of the mix, as well as the architecture. Um, anyway, I digress. Um, no, no. This is, this is, <laughs> and, and, and my experience of the unit in L.A. in the Westfield is that, you know, sometimes it'll be like two, two instances of a given room. Yeah, it's pretty rare we don't like to do two instances but sometimes oh, it just rare. it makes oh, sense okay. yeah. yeah um there's only a handful of locations orlando being one because it just has so much space and so many games in it um and then i think we've got maybe four or five total that have doubles um but we we prefer not to we prefer to deploy different content it just depends on you know that market mix and and what we have ready for that store and and there, with only murders, you took one of the existing rooms and used, I think, a few of the things that were already physically in the build, but then like completely did a whole different overlay, all, all kinds of you know, really intense prop work in terms of what was going on. Um, For only murders, we took over heist, um, and heist is. Honestly, it's our easiest room to transform into another room because it can function so differently in whatever environment you place around it. And so we turned the heist into the Arconia. We took the gallery, turned it into a hallway, um, an apartment hallway. We took the office, turned it into a apartment. And then we took the vault. This was our biggest reskin and turned it into like an area behind the halls of the, uh, or sorry, behind the walls of the Arconia. Um, and we've done this in the past with other uh, IP where we took, you know, truth seekers, similar thing, but it was more of a haunted vibe and it was a completely different feel for the game. But this is the first time we've ever done it with in-person players. So, um, truth seekers. And then we did a project for Disney called mysterious Benedict society. Those were only online. So you could play through the eyes of a game guide in the room who had a camera on their head and did whatever you told them to do. This time we did it in person. And so the prop work was had to be more durable. And originally we'd planned on it lasting basically a week. And we had to upgrade some props after we found out we were being extended for 30 days. Um, but 
before, you know, Truth Seekers, we would put a painting in a frame using VHB tape. Well, that doesn't work in an in-person experience. We, you know, people pick at the edges, they'll pull it off, and then it lasts. Because there's a clue underneath there. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. I see this frayed edge. Oh, (laughs) it's got to be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've literally had people punch through a wall because they thought a clue was in the wall. Um, Of course. Of course there are clues in the walls. Everyone remember, there are clues in the walls. Get to punching. Please (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Our maintenance team will kill me. <laughs> no, it reminds me of the stories of like early in LA of like that there was some family that went around. They all went around with like Swiss Army knives and and like screwdrivers and would like tear literally tear the rooms apart. Oof, yeah, yeah. We've definitely like, had it, people it, show up with um, screwdrivers and lockpick kick lockpick <laughs> kits. My God, uh, it's crazy. <laughs> are we sure these aren't criminals who are practicing their trade it's like right. hey guys i found this great place for us to practice <laughs> oh i i could not i didn't even realize like i i guess i knew from like the gallery room like that had been turned the hall like i was like oh this is like the heist room but like getting into the rest of it like you you just said and the vault was turned to this it's like I, be, the way you set decoed i had no idea that that was a vault like mm-hmm. in like the other version of of the room, so just just Im- impressive like uh, how you manage to like it's not to say reskin or rethemed would undercut the amount of work and the ingenuity that that was done in there, but to like really do a, a transformation of of the space. Thank you. Um, yeah, that and that vault was so. It was probably our hardest logistical thing to figure out because we basically planned to buy all the material for that on site. And so we didn't ship that material from Nashville. We had to rent a truck. We had to go to Home Depot. We had to pull 150 boards off the shelf that were like the right style boards that we needed. And we cut it all down. And I'm very surprised that mall security wasn't like, hey, you guys are making far too much noise in here. Uh, <laughs> but we cut it all down on site. And, you know, it was literal blood, sweat and tears in that room. Um, we definitely had our moments, but we we got it done really, really fast. That idea of like you're cutting on site, you're still manufacturing. Like, it's great to hear that because you, you look at how many escape games units are around the country and the brain wants to go like, Oh, big corporate. And to know that it's still for some of these special projects coming down to like two people in a room with like a miter saw or something, or like a, a sawzall, like just like taking mm-hmm. care of business uh, to get things up. Like escape games haven't come as far as they've come. They haven't lost <laughs> touch with their roots that way, which yeah. is exciting. Um, you mentioned that, you know, there were some some virtual rooms uh, over the course of, you know, high pandemic and some of these special projects. From from your vantage point, what has the 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 post high pandemic era been like for the your company in you know, specifically but also like escape games as a whole? How are how are things going out there? I think that for escape games as a whole, it's been actually really good for the industry, um, which is weird to say. I think that, you know, unfortunately, some of the better games weren't able to survive through COVID, which is a really sad, sad part of that. But then, you know, the games that did survive 
have been really doing well. Um, you know, our company, we were able to kind of survive because of remote adventures, but also because we pivoted and turned our shop into masks, like mask production. We created several hundred thousand uh, face shields um, just to survive. And after that, you know, people started coming back to the rooms. And the really cool thing was, because escape games are, you know, typically two to eight players. And so for a group that small, people are a lot less worried about doing that than going to a movie theater or a concert or something like that, where there's hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. And so they're not as worried about getting COVID, especially because a lot of companies switch to private bookings at the same time. And so you knew that it's just your group. We were also doing, you know, sanitization, et cetera. Um, and so I think a lot of companies were able to come out of COVID with really strong numbers. Um, and that was the case for us. We we had our best business ever in the years following COVID. Um, oh, wow. and, and that allowed us to expand quite a bit. And I think that some of the, the rooms that are out there now are still feeling the effects of that. Like, not just, you know, the COVID thing. I think that's, you know, people have put that aside for the most part, but... I think that people are now kind of revenge experiencing in a way and like mm. people are savoring those experiences a little more than they used to because who knows when they might not be there or you might not be able to do it. Yeah. There's like, I've seen a lot of that. I mean, we see some of that with you know, the larger immersive theater pieces that wind up closing for you know, whatever, usually business, but often, often like external business reasons, right? You know, it's not even like, well, the show isn't doing as, you know, good to sustain. It's like, yeah, there's some other objective happening here or like, or that lease is running out, whatever it might be. And then as soon as that announcement goes down, boom, just a frenzy uh, <laughs> extensions where they're possible or like, gosh, with like Star Cruiser, there's like whole conventions that are already sold out. Like I think yeah. people are doing like a convention in, in Orlando to like try and recapture the magic. Um, just intense because of that exact, the exact thing you just put a finger on, which is people know this stuff can be taken away from them in a heartbeat and they don't, they don't want that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just went to see sleep no more because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're you've been working for a while now on a, on a game show concept and i wonder mm -hmm. if you could like talk us through that and, and kind of how it relates to this this broader sense of what immersive gaming could be yeah great big game show is our our newest completely different concept from the escape game it's still you know location-based 60-minute hosted entertainment which is is what we do best um and basically, it's an hour-long show where you play a series of eight to ten mini-games, and you're competing against your friends, so you're split up into two different teams, and each mini-game, you earn points um, based on the game. Sometimes it's trivia, sometimes it's a physical game, sometimes it's pure luck. Um, we've got a giant wheel, we've got a Plinko board, all that fun stuff. Um, and basically, you're just competing for bragging rights in the end. Whoever has the most points in the end wins. And it's allowed us to do some really interesting things. First of all, we're testing the waters with something brand new. Um, but second of all, it's 
allowing us to have a lot of replayability, which you don't typically have with escape games. Um, you know, once you've solved the puzzles, you know the codes versus Great Big Game Show where you're getting fresh trivia questions every time and it's fully randomized. And so people are coming back three, four, sometimes even dozens of times to play this. Um, and it's just a really fun, uh, you know, exciting hour for people to partake in. When you started looking at, like, other things you could be doing in terms of the the sort of social dynamics in in a game. What what made you land on this particular format? We during COVID also we did a digital experience um, that was basically an online game show concept, and we basically turned to each other and we're like, "What if we made this an in person thing?" And so it's actually been a lot longer in the making um, than I care to admit. Um, it's basically been like. Oh, gosh, a year and a half since we started thinking about it. And, you know, we started. Oh, that's not that long. <laughs> right. I thought you were going to say, like, oh, well, let's see, it's 2024. So it was 2021. So it's been like three years. It's like no, a year and a half. That's nothing. That's a lot longer than our typical cycle, though. So it, it definitely feels like a long time. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we started in our, um, we have kind of this, like, house that we rented it used to be our corporate offices it's next to our berry hill nashville flagship location um and so no one was using it at the time because finance just moved into our headquarters and so we're like all right let's set it up here and so we built out the the crappiest version of it that we could um basically you know tables with tablecloths in the color of each team i think we had a, a little um synth pad that we use for sound effects um and we had a projector and you know just as as cheap as we could just to see if the concept worked um and so we had a bunch of people a bunch of people come and test it and you know internal and a few external here and there and people enjoyed it and our games were they were good but they weren't what they are now and so it took us you know another gosh year basically to fully flesh out the concept, to build a set, to design the light show, um, to do all of those things. And it just, it, it evolved over time, but it, it kind of just stemmed out of this simple idea of like, what if? Is, it, is this something that's going to wind up in like existing escape game units? Or is this like a whole other wing of the business? Right now, we've got it in Opry Mills and in the Colony in Texas, and those are both right next to a escape game location, so not necessarily sharing a lobby, but they're adjoining buildings. In the future, we will likely test a standalone location and see how that does, um, but we'll probably have a lot of escape game and great big game show combo, like the Pizza Hut Taco Bell combo units. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, and, and and that makes sense, right? I mean, it's, I mean, if nothing else, like you you know the landlord involved, so like yeah. that that then that goes a lot farther than I think people would be realizing, like on the on the outside, um, having a place where you know, like, oh, this will not be that much of a hassle to do a thing in, and you know the foot traffic, you know, kind of the demographics, whether or not it can sustain. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's that's one giant new concept between that and the escape game proper or just looking around at the field where do you see this kind of gaming going 
right? Whether it's whether we both in terms of thinking about what's happening in the escape gaming side of things, but also just immersive gaming as a whole as as the, kind of the field evolves. I think it's really cool how immersive gaming is shaping up and evolving because it's going in so many different directions right now. Um, obviously, you've got Meow Wolf, who has got immersive gaming um, and art installations. And, you know, it's it's a completely different thing than an escape game, but it has a similar feel to an escape game in some ways. If you want to go deep into those those storylines and those puzzles, um, and then you've got, you know, games with actors in them, the man from beyond. Um is another one like that is a you know immersive theater mixed with escape game and then kind of back to immersive theater um then you've got like two-bit circus um also immersive gaming with special events they've got a little bit of an escape game aspect to it um and there's there's just so many different ways that immersive gaming is is moving and so there's so much opportunity to build and and create you know maybe it's more actor driven for some uh, companies, maybe it's more uh, longer experiences. Like I would love to see a three hour long escape game. I know there are some in Europe, but there aren't any in the US, um, at least none that I'm aware of. Um, I think there's going to be more high quality, like high quality sets, high quality story. um, And like bringing in people to do story writing is I think something we'll see a lot in the future. Um, and I think that just overall, like the, the industry is moving in a quality direction, which is amazing. And then I think that you're going to have some people that really break through and innovate and create something new that is just amazing. And I don't think we know like escape games, what is the next, the next era of escape games look like. And that's one of the most exciting things for me is like, as long as we keep the heart of what escape games are, then I think that we'll have an amazing future over the next 10, 20, 30 years of this concept. That is a lovely place to land the plane. Ben, thank you so much for hopping on the pod this week and looking forward to looking forward to the continued expansion of the escape game as a company to what the next work is and to checking out the great big game show when uh, it hits somewhere close to me. Awesome. Thanks for having me Noah. Once again, I want to thank Ben for being our guest on the show this week. Check the show notes to connect with the escape game and go check out their work. There is likely an escape game near you. All right. Uh, what else? Um, this is the third time I've done this one because there have been like problems with each of the other two versions of the recording. Um, what's the thing that I wanted you everybody to know about? Ah, yes. So remember when I was talking about the pre-sale for casting, uh, that was like 32 minutes ago for you. It was increasingly <laughs> closer to 32 minutes ago for me. Uh, no, none of them are that long. Don't, don't worry. Uh, none of the other versions of this, uh, casting, uh, casting one, the 2019 Los Angeles immersive invitational. We also did the Immersive Invitational, uh, we meaning After Hours Theater Company and the Immersive Experience Institute. That's us. Um, the, the Institute. We're, we're the Institute. Um, they, uh, we did that in 22. We're doing it again this year. 
in April after WoW happens. Uh, there's a few other things between now and then, uh, but WoW is like the next big tentpole on the horizon. The Invitational, we're going to be able to tell everybody about that soon. We're going to be able to put tickets up. I think, I can't remember exactly when we're trying to get tickets up, but, but earlier than you'd think. Uh, we're on top of it this time. And there's more. Uh, <laughs> the last time I recorded this, I was like, oh yeah, we need to do that and that. Uh, it's been, uh, it's been, uh, it's been it's been an interesting couple of weeks on the home front. So uh, I've 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 had a few turns taken away from me. Uh, haven't been able to roll the dice uh, a couple of times of late. Um, and there's something else, and I just blanked on it entirely. But soon, uh, next week's interviews are in the can. More interviews are coming up. Very busy season all across the planet. Uh, that's really exciting and yeah, um, let's get into it. It's a short week. Um, I'll talk to you next week. We'll see. Oh, I was going to talk about class. I'll talk to you about class next week. Oh no, actually, you know what? Mm, no, hold on. Hold on. Wait. Yeah. For those of you who stuck around really like, Oh, class is going really well. I'm doing origins of immersive, the history of immersive in all its forms of a Cal arts this semester. Uh, my favorite part is the research part. Uh, no, yes, both equally enjoyable. Um, I can't say my favorite part is the research part. I can say that I really love the research part <laughs> and because I get to do for the class, I get to do something I don't normally get to do, which is I get to go into the archives. I get to hunt the archives down, which is hard enough in and of itself. It's like the ultimate web surfing gnarly waves bra um and uh you, you just keep on finding these treasure troves these unexpected publicly accessible treasure troves uh about all sorts of things and uh truly the part i like is getting in the conversation with the students uh about it and seeing them get excited or like you're showing them something that they just go whoa about it. like that's that's where it's fun like the the fruit of the labors of the research is the best part but the actual research itself is also really fun. And I don't get to do that all that often because, you know, we're keeping up. I don't have the excuse, you know, like if I was just a civilian, I could do that all day long. But, you know, we've got to process things for the call sheet and, you know, rejuggle everything immersive front page, which I just did yesterday and do the newsletter and do this and do that. And so... It isn't just like, hey, you want to read 300 pages about this one show? Like, I don't get to do that all that often. But now I have the excuse to. So I'm being paid to do so. And uh, it is delightful. Um, And if you're interested, if enough Patreon backers ah, are interested, uh, we might just uh, do some Zoom stuff with that. Um if there is interest, uh, I'm, I'm always, I'm always a little skeptical about whether or not people really, really like zoom as a format because, you know, I don't love zoom as a format myself, but once in a while, uh, because of its ability to draw people together and, and not, you know, uh, not have to have people get on planes. It is, it is, you know, efficient that way. As an absolute, like, we're going to do this, like, every week thing, like, no, that's too much. Um, 
just no. But as a once a month thing, let me know. Let me know if that'd be of interest to all of you, uh, because it is pretty simple to put together. Let's be honest. All right. Okay. On that note, uh, hit me up. Uh, and also hit me up, particularly if you're someone who's like a, uh, like a free backer, you know, free member on the Patreon and be like, Oh, that would, I would tip over that. Let me know about that. Cause you know, gotta pay bills, man. Gotta pay bills. Okay. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Presidium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. This podcast, well, it's my fault. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>